Chapter Three, Part Two of the Prince of Goodfellows. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Reading by Lars Rolander. The Prince of Goodfellows by Robert Barr. Chapter Three, Part Two. Catherine, who had entered silently and unnoticed through the smaller door, now stepped forward, drew her sister into the room, took out the huge key, closed the door and locked it, then turned fiercely to the king. Her beautiful white right arm was bare to the elbow, the loose sleeve rolled up, and in her hand she held a dagger. With her back against the newly locked door, she said, i'll be your majesty's guide from this castle and your perjured soul shall find exit through a postern gate made by my dagger oh catherine catherine sobbed isabel weeping in fear and horror of the situation you cannot contemplate so awful a deed a murder so foul for however unworthy he may be he is still the king what is there foul in ridding the world of a reptile such as he how many innocent lives has he taken to encompass his revenge how many now of our name are exiled and starving because of his action i shall strike the blow with greater surety for in killing him i extinguish his treacherous race no good can come from assassination catherine what greater evil can spring from his death than from his life his killing will not bring back those whom he has slain it will not cause our banished kinsmen to return it will be a murder for revenge and not the first in scotland said catherine grimly the king had once more seated himself and now resting his chin on his open palm listened to the discussion with the interested bearing of one who had little concern with its result. A half-amused smile wreathed his lips, and once or twice he made a motion as if he would intervene, but on second thoughts kept silent. "'Do not attempt this fell deed, dear sister,' pleaded Isabel earnestly. "'Let us away as we intended. The horses are ready and waiting for us.' Our mother is looking for our coming in her room. The night wears on, and we must pass Stirling while it is yet dark, so there is no time to be lost. Dear sister, let us quit Scotland as we purposed, an accursed land to all of our name. But let us quit it with unstained hands. Isabel, darling, said Catherine in a low voice, that quavered with the emotion caused by her sister's distress and appeal what unlucky chance brought you to this fatal door at such a moment can you not understand that i have gone too far to retreat who having caged the tiger dare open again the gate and set him free if for no other reason the king must die because he is here and because i brought him here open the door behind you isabel go down the circular stair and at the postern step you will find the rope-ladder by which i ascended get you to the courtyard and there wait for me saying nothing catherine catherine the king will pardon you he will surely forgive what you have done in exchange for his life forgiveness 
cried Catherine, her eyes blazing again. I want no forgiveness from the King of Scotland. Pardon. The tiger would pardon till once he is free again. The king must die. I shall go as you have bid me, Catherine, but not to do your bidding. I shall arouse this castle and prevent an abominable crime. Catherine laughed harshly. Whom would you call to your assistance? Douglases, Douglases, Douglases? How many of your way of thinking will you find in the castle? You know well, one only, and that is our mother, old and helpless. Rouse the castle, Isabel, if you will, and find a dead man, and perhaps a dead sister, when you break in this locked door. The helpless Isabel sank her head against the wall, and burst into a fury of weeping. Ladies, said the king soothingly, rising to his feet, will you graciously condone my intervention in this dispute? You are discussing an important act from the commission of which all sentiment should be eliminated, an act which requires the hard, strong mind of a man brought to bear upon the pros and cons of its consummation. You are dealing with it entirely from the standpoint of the heart, and not of the head, an error common with women, and one that has ever precluded their effective dealing with matters of state. You will pardon me, Lady Isabel, when I say that your sister takes a much more practical view of the situation than you do. She is perfectly right in holding that, having me prisoner here, it is impossible to allow me to go scathless. There is no greater folly than the folly of half-doing a thing." "'Does your majesty argue in favour of your own murder?' asked Isabel, amazed, gazing at the young man through her tears. "'Not so. But still, that is a consideration which I must endeavour to eliminate from my mind, if my advice is to be impartial and of service to you. May I beg of you to be seated? We have the night before us, and may consider the various interesting points at our leisure.' and thus no irremediable mistake need be made. Isabel, well-nigh exhausted with the intensity of her feelings, sank upon the bench, but Catherine still stood motionless, dagger in hand, her back against the door. The king, seeing she did not intend to obey, went on suavely. There was a light of intense admiration in his eye as he regarded the standing woman. Ladies, he said, can you tell me when last a king of Scotland, a James also, and a Catherine Douglas bore relation to each other in somewhat similar circumstances? The king paused, but the girl, lowering at him, made no reply, and after a few moments the young man went on. It was a year more than a century ago, when the life of James I was not only threatened, but distinguished not by one brave woman, but by a mob of cowardly assassins. Then Catherine Douglas nearly saved the life of her king. She thrust her fair young arm into the iron loops of a door, and had it shattered by those craven miscreants. Isabel wept quietly, her face in her two open hands, but Catherine answered in anger. Why did the Catherine Douglas of that day risk her life to save the king? Because James I was a just monarch, 
why does the catherine douglas of to-day wish to thrust her dagger into the false heart of james the fifth because he has turned on the hand that nurtured him the hand that imprisoned him lady catherine pardon my correction he turned on the man who governed scotland wisely and well again pardon me he had no right to govern i was the king not archibald douglas but all that is beside the question and recrimination is as bad as sentiment for clouding cold reason what i wish to point out is that assassination of kings or the capture of them very rarely accomplishes its object james i was assassinated and as a result two stewards two grahams and two chamberses were tortured and executed so his murderers profited little my grandfather james the third was carried off by the boyds but sir alexander boyd was beheaded and his brother and nephew suffered forfeiture i think i have shown then that violence is usually futile not so answered catherine your grandfather was assassinated and the man who killed him is not known to this day your great-grandfather basely murdered the black douglas in stirling thus breaking his word of honour for he had given douglas safe conduct yet he profited by his act and crushed my kinsman i see lady catherine that you are too well versed in history for me to contend with you successfully on that subject said the king with a silent laugh we will therefore restrict the inquiry to the present case as wise people should tell me then so that i may be better able to advise you what is your true object revenge and my death or the wringing from me of concessions for your family i could not wring concessions from you because you could not make good those concessions unless i released you i dare not release you because i dare not trust you i foresaw your difficulty and so i told your sister that having gone so far you could not retreat the issue is therefore narrowed down to death and how it may best be accomplished you have made the tactical mistake of forewarning me i cannot understand why you did not mount my horse beside me and stab me in the back as we rode through the forest did this not occur to you lady catherine it did but there were objections your horse would doubtless have escaped me and would have galloped riderless to stirling your body would have been found by break of day and we but a few hours march from stirling here i expect you to lie undiscovered in this locked room till we are safe in england that is clear reasoning commented the king with impartiality but have you looked beyond who will be the successor of the throne i have neither brother nor sister my two uncles died before i was born and i perish childless i think you mentioned that you wish to extinguish our line very well what follows who is heir to the throne it matters nothing to me said catherine firmly whoever rules scotland could not be a greater enemy to my race than you are i am not so sure of that i think your dagger blow will bring consequences you do not look for 
and that your kin now exiled in england will find the stroke a savage one for them you forget that the stern king of england is my uncle and on this relationship may lay claim to the scottish throne be that as it may it will be no secret that a douglas committed the murder and think you henry the eighth will offer safe refuge to his nephew's assassins you much misjudge him if you do it would have been far better to have slain me in the forest this castle business is but an ill-judged ill-thought-out plan i am sorry to appear adversely critical but such is my opinion and it confirms me in the belief that women should leave steel and state alone i dare not let you go reiterated catherine of a surety you dare not that is what i have said from the beginning on the other hand i can make no concession under coercion that would save my life you see we are both cowardly each in a different way and now having come to the absolutely logical conclusion that the king must die you should turn your mind to the difficulties that confront you i you see am also armed the king as he spoke took from his doublet a dagger almost similar to the one held by the girl a gentle smile graced his lips as he ran his thumb along the edge and then glanced up at the two in time to notice their consternation at this new element in the situation if you enter a tiger's cage you should expect the touch of his claws so lady catherine your task is more serious than you anticipated there is furthermore another source of danger against you and it is my sincere wish that in the struggle to come you may not be too severely handicapped while the issue of our contest is still in doubt your sister will assuredly unlock the door and give the alarm hoping to prevent your contemplated crime or my killing of you i think it right that you should not be called upon to suffer this intervention for if you will permit me to say so i admire your determination as much as i admire in another way the lady isabel's leaning towards mercy i shall then take this key from the larger door and place it with your sister outside on the narrow stairway you have withdrawn the rope ladder so she cannot alarm the garrison but i have not withdrawn it said catherine quickly my sister must not leave this room or she will bring interference then said the king calmly as he rose and took the key from the large door we shall at least make it impossible for her to open the way into the hall and so saying he stepped to the smaller door which he opened and before either of the women could prevent his action or even grasp an inkling of his design he stepped outside key in hand and thrust to their places the bolts of the stairway door the two girls looked at each other for a moment in silence isabel plainly panic-stricken while in catherine's face anger struggled with chagrin each was quick to see the sudden consequences of this turning of the tables the two were helpless prisoners in a remote portion of the castle no one within its walls being acquainted with their whereabouts the king insulted hoodwinked and all but murdered was now at liberty 
free to ride the few short leagues that lay between Doone and Stirling, and before daybreak the fortress would be in the hands of an overwhelming force with the present garrison prisoners. In the awed stillness an unexpected sound came to them from the outside, the sound of a man endeavouring to suppress the hearty laughter that overmastered him. To be doomed is bad enough, but to be made the subject of levity was too much for the dauntless Catherine. She flung her dagger, ringing to the stone floor, with a gesture of rage, then sank upon a bench and gave way to tears, tears of bitter humiliation and rage. "'Ladies,' said the king from the outside, "'I beg that you will allow me to open the door.' But receiving no answer, the bolts were drawn once more. James again entered the apartment and gazed down upon two fair proud heads, crowned with ruddy hair. "'Dear ladies,' said the king, "'forgive me my untimely birth. Both of you take matters much too seriously.' A little laughter is necessary in this world. My lady Catherine, I told you that I could grant no concessions under coercion, but now coercion has vanished, and I enter this room a free man of my own will. Tell me, my girl, what is it you want? The rescinding of your father's exile? It is granted. The right to live unmolested in your own castle? It is granted safe conduct to england it is granted the privilege of remaining in doon it is granted but do not ask me to rescind banishment against archibald douglas earl of angus for that i shall not concede the douglas ambition and not the scottish king has wrecked the douglas family both black and red but as far as concerns your own immediate kin with one exception I shall give anything you like to ask. Catherine rose to her feet, threw back her auburn tresses, and said curtly, We ask nothing but the privilege of leaving the country you rule. The king bowed. And you, Lady Isabel? I go with my sister and my mother. I grieve at your decision, ladies, and for the first time in my life envy England in getting an advantage over poor old Scotland which I hope will not be irreparable, for I trust you will return. But if such be your determination, then go in peace, and in the daylight. Your journey shall not be molested by me. But before you add finality to your intentions, I think it would be but fair to inform your lady mother that the king is anxious to be of service to her, and perhaps she may be content to accept what her daughters are apparently too proud to receive. James placed the key once more in the lock, and turning to Catherine said, My fair antagonist, I bid you good night. He stretched out his right hand, and she, with some hesitation and visible reluctance, placed her palm in his. Then the king raised to his lips the hand which at one time seemed like to have stricken him and you sweet isabel whose gentle words i shall not soon forget you will not refuse me your hand no your majesty if you will promise to think kindly of me the king however did not raise her hand to his lips but placing an arm about her waist he drew her towards him and kissed her 
Next moment he was hurrying down the stone steps, and the two were left alone together. End of chapter 3, part 2 Read by Lars Rolander